today on CityCast Madison. Raise your hand if you've personally enjoyed our robust Madison food scene. Back in the 70s, downtown was nothing like it is today. And our current rainbow of restaurant options, many featuring local cheeses, bakery, and veggies, wasn't inevitable. We may take it for granted, but it couldn't have happened without one woman. Odessa Piper is the James Beard award-winning chef who started Les Toiles restaurant on the Capitol Square. And what started there transformed downtown and the food scene as we know it. It's Thursday, February 2nd. I'm Bianca Martin, and this is CityCast Madison. Odessa, hello. Hi, Bianca. Thank you for joining us. You are best known for creating the farm-to-table restaurant L'Etoile. Would you call yourself a foodie? Oh, no, because it's so much more fun to do a more long-winded definition, I think. (laughs) Someone who is passionate and besotted about the beauty of food. I named the restaurant L'Etoile to refer to the stars in nature that come down to earth like if you open up an apple there's a star inside or if you open up a cabbage there's like a swirling galaxy you know so I wanted to refer to the stars that we can eat that are so radiant and beautiful I love it we will not be putting you in a box that's good right off the bat and that's beautiful before there was L'Etoile there's a restaurant called Ovens of Brittany let's start there 50 years ago What was Ovens of Brittany best known for? Yeah, so it was 1972. It was actually the very first farm-to-table restaurant in Wisconsin. A lot of people don't know this. The woman who owned that restaurant, my first employer, was a visionary. Her name was Joanna Guthrie. She's no longer with us. She had a farm in Rolling Ground, Wisconsin, right in the heart of the Kickapoo, actually at the stream head of the West Fork of the Kickapoo River. We milked a couple cows by hand, kept our tins of milk cold in the spring house, actually. I feel so ancient. This was grade B milk for the cheese factory, as we called them, up on Rolling Ground, which also was like a convenience store and a beer, and you could buy beer there, and there was a cheese factory. Anyways, um, her vision included having uh, setting up a restaurant in Madison, And so that's what we opened. Uh, I did a little bit of farming for her, and then we opened the restaurant in 1972. She named it the Ovens of Brittany to refer to the Celtic traditions, the ancient, ancient traditions uh, across the North Atlantic that she wanted to evoke these land-based and highly spiritual traditions of that You know, the cosmos is in the earth. The earth is part of the cosmos. Uh, She was very spiritual. And her vision was guided by this idea that the farm, the artisan, the food artisan should be a loving, uh, nurturing connection between the rural and the urban. Yeah, and that was uh, on the corner of State and West Johnson Street? Yep. And there's a delightful restaurant there to this day. They're really good people. (laughs) It sounds like, you know, there was, you guys were doing this farming and there's this majestic space where you're bringing the food right to the restaurant. So you're merging the rural and the urban. That's the idea of the farm to table restaurant. And uh, 
if I understand it correctly, you also became connected with local farms. Like, how did that happen? Well, getting my professional start in cooking, literally boarding on a local farm with Joanna in Rolling Ground, Wisconsin, certainly we were early days for learning how to garden and forage. I'd had a couple years prior to that in New England, I dropped out of high school and did what was would have been my senior year of high school at a wonderful commune <laughs> called uh, wooden shoe that we had no electricity or running water and we grew pretty much attempted to grow uh, most of our sustenance we kept it underneath the house in a root cellar and i learned how to eat from the land and to augment our diet with what we could wild forage so i discovered hickory nuts and may apples and wild brambles and all sorts of delicious foods that you can get from the wild. You have this rich imagery that I'm getting from your time farming, and I'm loving it. I also understand that you created the morning bun pastry there at Ovens of Brittany, those like sticky buns that you can still get at local bakeries. How did that happen? Joanna, again, um, encouraged me. uh, We were making croissant from scratch, and they were very popular. She encouraged me to find some other use for the croissant dough. And she said, I've already got a name for it. We're going to call it the morning bun. And so I worked with a a pretty simple kind of brown sugar cinnamon roll idea and put it, though, in a muffin tin, heavily buttered. But here's where the morning bun got its unusual characteristics. Back in those days, there were direct flights from Madison Airport to San Francisco, and the flight crew had a very high, a very fine taste, and they loved our baked goods. But they would show up at like five in the morning to get hot morning buns out of the oven before they had to depart for the day. I was the opening baker, and I came in. I wanted every second of sleep I could get, so I would come in at about four in the morning, or maybe a little before. I'd turn on the deck ovens. I'd take the morning buns, which we had made the day before, fabricated the day before. And I took them out of the refrigerator, put them into the deck oven, which was slowly heating up. It made the yeast in the morning bun rise. So the morning buns got very big and got that big muffin top that they're famous for. And a lot of the, not all the butter, but some of the butter would leak down and mingle with the brown sugar and become, when you flipped the morning buns when they were cooked, we flipped them upside down and they were covered with this hot brown sugar caramel. Now, something that a lot of people don't know is the morning bun got its famous sugar coating because this caramel coating was so hot, you couldn't touch them, but the flight crew was so eager to pick up their pastries and you know head on their way. So I figured out that I could dip the whole muffin tin of morning molten hot morning buns into a big bucket of cinnamon sugar. I tossed the morning buns in the cinnamon sugar, and that allowed me to be able to handle them, to put them into bags, to send them off with my wonderful <laughs> flight crew. And what happened is some bakers in uh, the morning bun got a little fame in San Francisco. Some bakers admired it and began to copy it. And heaven forbid, at some point, the myth, the urban myth out there was that some baker out there had invented it. Little did they know that good old Madison, Wisconsin was the origin. Then you decided to open L'Etoile. So we just talked about Ovens of Brittany. And that was, you know, one of these original, the original you're sharing, farm to table restaurant. Set the scene for us. What did the Capitol Square look like 
back when that started. In 1976, there was activity during the day on the Capitol Square. There were department stores and a beautiful hardware store and all sorts of activity. And the old building that our restaurant was located in, actually um, two brilliant restaurateurs came and created that space before I came along, uh, Bruce and Andrea Craig, and they operated this beautiful little gem of a restaurant called Andrea's there. But at night, the Capitol Square would just empty out. Uh, There would be bars, and so some of the state legislators, you could find them in the bars, you could find some shady characters in the bars, but there was no nightlife at all, which is how the Craigs were able to negotiate an extremely affordable rent for this little walk-up restaurant. Now, for reasons that are too complex to go into here, they closed the restaurant in 1976. And so the place was up for sale. And a fellow that I was dating, a wonderful man uh, named Jim Casey, he was uh, the sommelier and maitre d' at the Ovens of Britain. He said, what do you think, Odessa? Let's let's open a restaurant ourselves. And I said, sure, and didn't really think a whole lot. Everyone was very eager for the place to sell. We were able to get a little down payment together and boom, before we knew it, we were opening L'Etoile on July 7th, 1976. It was difficult because now when we look at Madison, I mean, it's so vibrant. Uh, there's so many apartments, there's so many condos. The nightlife is amazing and all these wonderful restaurants that have sprang up. But what saved our skins was the Dane County Farmer's Market. That came in during the day, of course, on Saturdays. But what it did is it it began to bring people back to think of downtown as something about food and something about community, not just the lawyer's offices and the banks and the department stores and the the hardware store. And the, the Dane County Farmer's Market was the which was the big shoulder that opened the door to let a whole new culture of food come in to Madison. Well, I have to say I have incredibly (laughs) successfully enjoyed so much of the culture that is food here in Madison since. So I'm just, I'm very grateful because I moved away for a minute and I remember someone told me they're moving to Madison and I said, I've got to tell you where I have to go. And I spent like an hour making a list. It felt like five minutes and it was all restaurants, (laughs) you know, this big food destination. And so you're talking about this moment when you guys got the first location for L'Etoile and, you know, it sounds like the farmer's market was really bringing people and making downtown capital a destination. I just wanted to hear a little bit about, like, what were people's attitudes around food? Back then, when we were attempting to explain what it was we were doing, we used the word sustainable. We talked about sustainable agriculture and sustainable food. And I had these very busy journalists say, could you please use some other word? Our our audience doesn't know what sustainable means. Goat cheese, for example, there were a lot of things where it was just too weird. And I made 
croissant. I filled them with delicious things and we baked them off early Saturday morning. Like goat cheese, like a croissant with goat cheese in it. Oh God, that sounds so good. <laughs> a lot of people don't know this, but I pretty much kept the cash flow of the restaurant going in those early difficult years. By We sold thousands and thousands of croissant on Saturday morning. We had a line that would stretch a whole entire block in those early farmer's market days. And you know, uh, Tori and Christine Miller, who run continue to run uh, L'Etoile, um, relocated over in the Glass Bank building, but with many of the same tenants, they they make croissant and sell them. And, oh, bless their hearts, they, they do a lot of those traditions. But Bianca, what's important about that is that we put all sorts of cool vegetables. I mean, we made a ratatouille croissant. We made a smoked goat cheese and apricot croissant, but we had some wild combinations for those croissant. I mean, I put, there were some years that, you know, the Hmong people came, brought wild plums to the Dane County Farmer's Market. And if you've ever tasted a Wisconsin wild plum, you want to just, you just know that you want to be a human being and incarnate here as many times as you can, because the flavor is so ethereal and delicious, but they're very tannic. So you have to use a lot of sugar. They're kind of like, the way that rhubarb is very tart and you have to use a lot of sugar. All of those combinations sound incredible. We did some crazy things that even by today's standards were a little out there. And what it did is it made people, it, it advertised L'Etoile to all these people who came to the farmer's market. So now they were curious about what is this restaurant that's that's up there on the second floor. Yeah, you had mentioned this briefly, but the Dane County's farmer's market is 50 years old. Like, why do you think it became one of the largest markets in the country? Oh, I'll tell you exactly why, because we have extraordinary terroir. We have an extraordinary region. The Wisconsin River and its tributaries in the watershed of the Driftless region, it was not glaciated in the last ice age. And so it has very dramatic ridge tops and valleys and it's not a type of um, region that can be planted in infinite acres of corn and alfalfa, though I think some farmers attempted to do that. But Wisconsin was famous as you know a place for small family dairy farms. But what happened is that in the 70s and the 80s, Wisconsin had to compete with California and with much larger farms that had thousands of milking cows and a very different setup, oftentimes confined confined milking operations. And these small Wisconsin farmers that had only 80 cows couldn't compete. And so they had to look at another form of agriculture. And the type of agriculture that really worked was sustainable and organic, small scale agriculture for fruits and vegetables and nuts. And that really launched a second life for Wisconsin agriculture. So those farmers who didn't grow corn and alfalfa, but grew vegetables for humans, came into the Dane County Farmer's Market. And you had this wonderful diversity of things that you could get at the market. You could get goat cheese, you could get cheddar cheese, you could get lettuces, you could get many kinds of lettuces. I mean, back when I was growing up, the only lettuce was iceberg lettuce. But at the Dane County Farmer's Market, we began to get salette and arugula and roquette and endive and escarole and leafy greens. And that's just the leafy greens. I mean, (laughs) 
I understand you're very passionate about small fruits, and I could tell that from the way you're talking about the plum, and particularly native ones, some locals like elderberry and aronia. First, what are those? Like, I, I've heard of elderberry and I've used it uh, because of cold season, <laughs> but what are those and what got you interested in them? Well, um, elderberry and also currants are actually indigenous to North America, which is kind of cool. My current beloved affiliation is with a group called the Savannah Institute, which is a nonprofit that is is building a farming campus out in Spring Green. And they're basically working with farmers, helping farmers convert from soy and corn, which is not sustainable, into perennial foods such as the elderberry and the currant, the aronia, because these are bushes, also nut trees like chestnuts and hazelnuts. These don't get plowed up every year. And in these times of climate change and global warming, it's actually very important to keep the roots of plants in the ground. Why is that important? So the roots hold the soil, they hold the water in the soil and the nutrients. And then the soil remains undisturbed for the life of the plant. The bearing life of the plant might be 25 or 50 years. So it's a very visionary, long-term, very dedicated process. And so the plants will bring income to the farmers uh, because the farmers can make a harvest of the fruits or the nuts every year. And the plants just grow in the soil and keep that ecology going. Do you think, is there a new frontier of the local food movement? I think the next frontier is what I'm calling the food citizen. Like, we, we you know, we've, we've valorized the farmers, we've valorized the environment, we're, we, we talk about climate change, like we're getting climate aware. What the next step is we need to empower eaters to understand the importance of buying local, of eating within their season and within their region and like stepping up, like I'm calling it food citizen, but like knowing how to recycle, knowing how to minimize waste, knowing how to eat the whole plant. There's so many new areas that we can crack into that because unfortunately there's been so much commodification and industrialization of our food systems that a lot of people, a lot of regular Americans live in this ocean of abundance but it's been turned into an, an ocean of waste and an ocean of diet-related diseases. So this is the new frontier, is for eaters to become empowered, to understand what to do with an elderberry and to understand that the flower can be, make a beautiful fragrant liqueur or that the black currant has all these phytonutrients, which besides adding them to your apples for a delicious apple pie, also bring incredible health and vitality. There is so much to be said about the foods that you eat and eating them locally. And I just, I'm still, what stuck with me is you describing the background of the of L'Etoile, why you named it that, talking about the stars that are right here. That's so beautiful. I'll never forget that. Thank you, Odessa. You're welcome. That was Odessa Piper, the James Beard award-winning chef and founder of L'Etoile Restaurant in Madison. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Parking tickets. If you live downtown or on the Isthmus, you gotta pay close attention to which side of the street to park your car on when it snows. A reminder I sadly and embarrassingly needed. 
Madison issued over 300 tickets from this past weekend storm and already over a thousand this season. The city will literally text you a reminder with which side of the street to park on. We'll put a link in our show notes. And there's a new art exhibit opening at the Madison College Truex campus today. And it made me think of this. The most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. (sighs) Malik Al-Shabazz, you had it right. The exhibit is called Protecting the Black Woman, and the artworks celebrate and highlight the diverse experiences of black women. It opens today, Thursday, February 2nd. The opening ceremony is tonight at 6 p.m., and the exhibit will be up for all of February. You can see it weekdays on the Truex campus. And before we go, we want to ask your help with our upcoming series ahead of Valentine's Day. We're dedicating the full week to love, and we want your stories. Did you ever have a date go so sideways that you still laugh about it to yourself to this day? Or maybe it went so right and led you to your special someone. Leave us a voicemail and we may play it on the show. We're at 608-318-3367. Please share. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell your favorite foodie about us? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Talk soon. She was the coolest.